John chapter 3. We've been going through the book of 1 John. Remember, it's a letter written to Christians. We talked a lot in the first couple messages about fellowship with God or the correct relationship with God, being in perfect fellowship with God. We talked about the idea of being under the perfect love of God or the, the completed love of God, having that opportunity to be fully blessed and to not have any hindrances between us and God and to have the, uh, the chance to uh, just, just uh, be where we're supposed to be, experiencing what we're supposed to be experiencing with God. And, uh, and so we come into 1 John chapter 3, and this, this part is going to basically conclude the first part of 1 John, and then we'll go into the second part of 1 John in the last two chapters in the weeks to come. Uh, but today I want us to look at how to coexist with Christians. Um, I think that's a, a good thing to learn. Uh, I have spent my entire life coexisting with Christians. And it's funny, it's, it's all I know, and not everybody has that same upbringing that I had. Um, and so for my life, it's funny, I, I brought, I, it was a, a conversation with somebody else, coping was the, the term used. Um, and, uh, and I said, my whole life is coping, just being joking. Uh, my whole life is coping, so I'm pretty good at it. Um, and, and it's funny, I think about coexisting with Christians, that, that's not a joke, that has been my whole life. And I've been fortunate, I've been fortunate that I've got good parents who taught me well, um, who helped me at an early age understand that some people are stupid and, uh, and, and some people are different. And, uh, and we have to still be able to live life with those people because at the end of the day we're on the same team. And so to be able to understand how to coexist with Christians, because we've talked about this in the earlier parts, and we'll, we'll hit it again today, but the world is against us. There are enough people against us in this world that we as Christians should be together. And we have to learn that even with our differences, uh, even with our disagreeances, even with our uh, personality uh, vastly different, we've got to learn how to coexist together. So how do we do that? Um, and 1 John 3, verses 11 through 24 are going to help us with that uh, here today. Let's read just a couple verses, starting in verse number 11. The Bible says, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him, because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brother, that the world hates you, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and, he, and ye know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Interesting verses uh, here to start us off this morning. Uh, and I want us to look at it, so let's ask for the Lord's help to understand. Because there's a lot of interesting words or phrasing in this section. I want to make sure that uh, we get God's help today because we definitely need it. Lord, I pray for your help as we do go through these verses. And I pray that you'd help me to present them uh, correctly, clearly. Uh, and Lord, I pray that you would help us again to be understanding of where we're supposed to be, of where the way our life is supposed to be 
in regards to living for you. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand as well how we can live in this life with other Christians, helping one another, serving you together, uh, and Lord, ultimately fulfilling what you desire for us to fulfill, us, fulfill on this earth. So help us, I do pray, to understand this today. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we, I want us to see these. Uh, I got four thoughts for us today. Four thoughts for us today. The first one, it really piggybacks off of last week, but love each other. We talk about existing with, coexisting with Christians. Well, it goes right back to what we talked about before of the, the need to love one another. In verse 11, it says, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning. Again, this is not a new message. This is something you heard very early on. And it says that message is this, that we should love one another. Does God care about whether or not you love people? He does. You remember the, uh, the religious leaders trying to trick Jesus said, what's the, what's the greatest commandment? And he said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And he continues talking, Jesus does, and says, and the second is like unto it, that you love your neighbor. And you see, that was not asked. They didn't ask what's the second greatest commandment. They didn't ask about that, but they asked, what's the greatest? And God says the greatest is to love God. And he says the second is very, very similar. And I shall love your neighbor. Now here, First John is written to Christians. And so when it uses the term brother, it's talking about Christians brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says to them here, this is the message that you've heard from the beginning. And I'm intrigued by this because you have John here. John who, who sat under the training of Jesus Christ himself. And you have him talking to a, a, a church that's still really early on in the existence of the local church. And here he's talking and he says, here's something you've heard from the beginning. And that is love your brother. Now, it's interesting because he says in the next verse, not as Cain loved his brother. In my mind, I grew up in church hearing about Cain and Abel. And in my mind, I go, duh. <laughs> Love your brother, but not like Cain loved his brother. Well, I would hope not. But it's interesting to kind of understand where he's going with this. Uh, and again, I say he, God's the one that's inspiring this. God's the one that's giving it to us. But it's interesting because he says here, uh, love each other, but not like Cain loved Abel. Well, how much did Cain love Abel? He loved him to death. <laughs> Get it? Uh, okay. Did Cain love Abel? I believe he did. He was his brother. Uh, but there was something in Cain's heart that was not right. And ultimately, Cain did evil because he didn't love Abel the way he was supposed to love Abel. This is purely opinion, but I believe Cain loved Abel, and I believe that after Cain killed Abel, I believe Cain instantly regretted it. I, I don't think Cain ever got over it. But, but we see here this understanding that if we don't love someone the right way, it's going to lead to something disastrous. In most cases, not physical murder, but it's going to lead to some ugly stuff. 
Cain had ill will toward Abel. Why? Because Abel was right. That's why. It says in verse 12, Not as Cain who was of the wicked one and slew his brother. And it says, Wherefore slew he him? It's because of his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. The reason why Cain killed Abel is because Cain, his own works were evil. He did wrong. God said, here's what I want. And Cain said, I've got something better. And Cain brought a sacrifice that he thought was better than what God asked for. And it's important for us to understand that when God asks for something, we should give God what he asked for. God says, here's what I want from you. I want you to, I'm going to go back to finances. God says, I want you to give this, whatever it is. Whether it's to mission work, whether it's a love offering to a, to a speaker, whether it's to a project at church, whether it's uh, the tithe, whatever it is, God says, I want you to give this. And we go, well, I think it would be better if I just gave this, but then did this with the rest. Or if I didn't give this, and instead I'll kind of trade, I'll, I'll do a little work or I'll whatever. If God says, I want you to do this, that's what you should do. Why? Because it's right. If God in your life is telling you, I want you to do this, maybe it's a job, Maybe it's something at your job. Maybe it's whatever. I want you to do this. And you say, well, God, I, I understand that, but I think it would be better if I did this. And if I did it this way, God, then I would have opportunities to do these things. God's saying, I want you to do this. And if you don't do what God wants you to do, it's going to head you down a path that's just not, not going to help you. It's not going to be good. So he told Cain and he told Abel, I want you to bring a sacrifice and this is what I want you to do. And, and Cain said, I don't want to do it that way. I want to do it this way. This is better. This, this is more personal to me. It's not about me, friends. God says that he, he uh, uh, prefers, and I'm paraphrasing, obedience over sacrifice, obedience over religious action. And a lot of times we try to make excuses. Saul did it. King Saul did it. Uh, many times. But God says, I want you to do this. And we go, well, but this will be more personal to me if I do it this way. What did God tell you to do? Worshiping God is not about being personal to me. It's about worshiping God. And God allows us to worship God in different ways. Sure. But when God says, do this, that's how you do it. Church is a great example. God says, go to church. Be a part of of an assembly of believers. Come together and be encouraged and be edified and be lifted up and be challenged and be corrected and be instructed. Come together. And there are people who go, well, I think it's better that me and my family have a home church. That's not the way God designed it. He designed the home and He designed church. You should do right in your home and you should do right in your church. It's just as simple as just doing what God tells you to do. And we talk about loving the brothers, loving the sisters, loving each other. He says, love, love your brothers, but not like Cain. Cain was selfish. Cain thought he was smarter than he was. 
And Cain ended up killing his brother. And we see here that Cain, the reason why he had ill will towards Abel is because Abel was doing right. And a lot of times, Christians won't love their brothers because their brothers are doing right and they aren't doing right. And they get jealous and they get upset and they get judgmental and they think, well, I'm doing what I want to do and I'm doing it the way that I want to be doing it, but this person seems to be getting the blessings from God. And they get angry about it. And they don't love their brother. Something good happens and everybody's saying, oh, congratulations, that's wonderful. And there's somebody over here going, I hate that person. Why are they getting good things? Why are they being blessed? Why is everybody so happy for them? Why isn't anybody happy for me? We don't love our brother. We love ourselves. And this message of love your brother goes back to the beginning, not just the beginning of the local church, to the beginning of creation. The world is a, uh, a cane, excuse me, is a picture of the world. We are a picture of Abel. We shouldn't act like Cain. Right? Verse number 10, if you remember from last week, we looked at this. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. You are not in fellowship with God. You are not in a, 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 a perfect relationship with God if you don't love your brother. It cannot happen. You are wrong. Forgiveness is an interesting topic. We have to forgive people whether they want it or not. I know people who say, well, if they come and they tell me they're sorry, then I'll forgive them. Well, then you're going to be living in darkness for a while. You have to forgive. Why? Because you're supposed to love. If I'm going to love that person and they've wronged me, I have to forgive them before I can love them. I can't love someone who I don't forgive. I can't love someone who I hold some bitterness towards. Say, well, it's not bitterness. I'm just not going to forgive them until they ask for it. It's bitterness. Cain had bitterness from Abel. And instead of having a conversation with Abel, instead of having a conversation with God, uh, Cain just went off and murdered his brother. And the Bible says that that hatred that Cain had for his brother... The hatred alone is murder. Verse 15, whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. Christ talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount, about your heart. It's not always the action. There's, there's sin in the action too, but it starts with the heart. And you sitting there, grumbling underneath your breath, thinking it in your head, I don't like that person. That person makes me angry. I wish I never had to see that person again. That's the same heart of a murderer. Now, I think I know you all well enough that I would be completely shocked if you ended up being a murderer. Except for one of you. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I would be completely shocked if one of you ended up being a murderer. 
But God says that hatred in your heart is as sinful and as wicked as the action of murder. And here we're talking to Christians about their relationship with other Christians. And God says that hatred in your heart, that if you want to use the word dislike to make it sound softer, fine, go for it. It's murder. It's wrong. It's wicked. And you cannot coexist with other Christians if you're going to have the kind of love that Cain had for his brother Abel. You need to have the kind of love that Jesus had for you. That's the kind of love that we're supposed to have. The Bible tells us that at salvation we change. And I say this again and I'll say it probably more times even today. It is not our job to judge someone's salvation. But the Bible tells us that when someone is saved, they change. And if someone says, I'm a child of God, but there has never been a change in their life, I think you need to be praying for that person. That either God gets a hold of their heart and they already are saved and that God gets them on the right path, or they're not saved, that they realize, hey, you may have prayed a prayer, uh, you may have, may have told everybody that you're saved, but, but if you died today, would you go to heaven? And we pray that God would convict them and God would save them. But in 1 Corinthians 6.11, the Bible says, And such were some of you, but you are washed, and you're sanctified, but you're justified in the name of the Lord uh, Jesus and by the Spirit of our God, saying that at one time you were these things, liars, murderers, uh, idolaters, all these other things, but you're not anymore because you've been washed of that. God saved you. You're now different. And here in this passage, it's talking about these, these people who, who aren't showing difference. Verse 14, we know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. There's, there's, a, there's proof, proof in the pudding, whatever that means. There's proof in the pudding that Jesus is a part of my life. And that proof, one of those proofs is that I love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. And whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Is it Revelation? I'll just look this up real quick before I say it, I guess. Um, yeah, Revelation 21.8. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and liars shall have their place, shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now listen, I say all this and I want to remind you this book's written to Christians. It's telling us what we should be and what we should avoid. And it's telling us that if we're not doing what we should be doing, we need to start doing what we should be doing. If God saved you, you ought to be living obediently to God. Will you sin? Yes. Will you make mistakes? Yes. But if you claim to be saved and there's never been a change in your life where you've ever went away from those things, those things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. A little ch child song that I grew up singing. Because there's been a great change since I've been born again. Well, if you've been saved, there should be a change in your life. 
And, and that change is proof for you. That change is proof for you that you're saved. You used to be these things, but you're washed and you're sanctified and you're justified by Jesus Christ and you're no longer these things. And knowing that, seeing that change, knowing that change in your life brings that assurance that you're saved. We have to love each other. Number two, I've kind of already mentioned this, but we'll make it a point, is love like God. So we don't love like Cain, right? We love like God. Look in verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. How much should we love the brethren? Well, we should love them as much as Jesus loved them. How much did Jesus love them? He gave Himself for them. Does this mean that you need to go give up your life? Not necessarily. But you should love them like you're willing to. It's sacrificial. It's, it's so unselfish. It's not about me. I don't love the brethren so God will bless me. I love the brethren because Jesus loves the brethren. And I love Jesus. And therefore I love them. So many Christians have fallen into this, this satanic trap of I'm going to do what the Bible tells me to do so that I gain something. I'll go do this task in the church as long as I get acknowledged for it. And if I go and do this task and nobody acknowledges, acknowledges me for it, then I won't do it again. I'll go do this thing as long as it's public, as long as someone sees it. But if nobody's going to see it, I'm not going to do it. What's the point? The point is God sees it. And God says you're supposed to love like Christ loved. Willing to suffer or willing to sacrifice might even be a better word for it. Willing to give of yourself for someone else. And I'm so thankful that we have people in our church that do this. And they don't get applause for it. Hopefully they get thanked by the people that they sacrifice for. But I know that, that usually I'll hear about it weeks later from the person who was helped. Hey, man, this was really encouraging. So-and-so came and, and did this. Or so-and-so called. Or so-and-so texted. Or whatever it may be. We've got people in the church who just on a random Tuesday will reach out to someone and try to encourage them. That's wonderful. That's what God wants from us. But He wants it from all of us. Sometimes we get to the point where we get so used to being receiving these things that we never give. We expect people to sacrificially love me, but I don't ever sacrificially love anybody else. And people will say, well but you don't understand my situation and their situation. They're in a much better situation than I am. And Listen, do you, do you serve the same God? It's not about your situation. It's not about your predicament. It's, it's not about your ability. It's about God. And Jesus Christ 
loved us and He gave Himself for us. And we should love each other and give of ourselves for each other. You're never, I know you're not going to believe me, you're never too poor, you're never too tired, you're never too busy to love other people. Listen, maybe somebody can love you. I've been blessed in my life financially by people who have the ability to bless financially. Man, that's nice, that's great, that's helpful. I, I've not been in the position very often in my life where I can do the same. So what do I do? I don't go out and hand out money to people. That doesn't mean I can't love people. Right? That doesn't mean I can't love people. Man, I can look at my life and I can say, well, I'm too busy and I can, I'm too tired. And, I'm, you know, and these are excuses that we'll all use come Revival Week too. Um, I'm too poor, I'm too tired, I'm too busy. But I'm telling you, love the brethren. You say, I don't know how to do it. Ask God. Guess what? He'll tell you. It's amazing. You can love the brethren. Not only can you, you're supposed to love the brethren. Are you loving the brethren? And you say, well, you know, it's not, it doesn't go back to verse 14 and 15 uh, where, it's, where I hate the brethren. It's just that I've become too selfish to give of myself to other people. Now listen, as a dad, I'm supposed to constantly be giving of myself to my wife and to my children. And again, I've said this before, we use family as an excuse not to do what God tells us to do. That doesn't mean that I'm not supposed to love other people too. As a wife, you're supposed to give up yourself to your husband and to your children as a mother. That doesn't mean that you can't love the brethren too. It's giving of ourselves the way that God gave of Himself to love other people, being willing to sacrifice. Not only that, being compassionate. Verse 17, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? It says if you have the ability... God's been good. You've been blessed. And you see someone in need, and a brother in need, and you don't help? You can't love a brother that way. Have some compassion. I love the definition of compassion I heard as a child. It was love in action. How often do we say, I love, but we actually don't do anything? We say, oh, boy, I sure love that person. All right, what do you do? Hey, I'm guilty of this. Are we talking with, with Katie or talking with somebody, another pastor? And uh, we get talking about the church. And, and at some point in the conversation, something's going to come up. And I'm going to say, I tell you what, I sure love this person. Boy, they're such an encouragement, man. They're such a help. Uh, it's just it's a blessing when we come into church. There's never, a, there's never a gotcha moment where they pull you aside and complain about something. Uh, they're, just, they're just there. They're an encourager. Okay, well, what am I doing about that love? Right? They've sacrificially done something for me. What am I doing in return? How am I loving them? We have to be careful of this. Sometimes we lack compassion for other people. We'll say that we love them, but there is no action of that love. 
And that brings us into verse 18, being active with our love. Verse 18 says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and truth. we got to do something. Why? Because God did something. And I'm supposed to love like God loves. In verse 19, again, we're going to talk about this word multiple times over the next couple weeks, assurance. Verse number 19 says, And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. How do we know? What is the sign? He said, I love the brethren. He said, I love like God loved. It's just another sign, another, another showing, another thing in my heart that assures me of the, of, of the salvation that God has given me. Love like God. Number one, love each other. Number two, love like God. Number three, live with a clear conscience. This is a big one for Christians. You should be able to live... Let's see what you're saying. You say, well, how is this about how to coexist with Christians? You cannot coexist. and you're not, you're not trying to coexist because of who they are. You're coexisting because of who you are. And so when we come and we say, okay, how can I coexist with those people? Well, I've got to love them. And not only that, I've got to love them like Christ loved them. And not only that, I have to live my life with a clear conscience between God and myself. Verse number 20, it says, For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn, condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. You ever heard the old saying, if you, if you have to ask if it's right or wrong, it's probably wrong. It, it, this goes deeper than that, but as a simplest level, if you're saying, God, please tell me this is okay to do. It's probably not. And it says that if your heart condemn you, if you're sitting there feeling guilty, you better understand that God is so much greater than your heart and He knoweth all things. Sometimes we try to uh, rationalize something and we kind of talk ourselves into saying it's going to be okay. I'm going to do this. And at first you're saying, God doesn't want me to, but then you try to find a way to make it okay. And then you're saying, it's going to be okay. I, this, is, this is good enough. Your heart's condemning you. And God knows your heart. And God knows your thought process. And God knows what you're trying to avoid. And God knows what you're trying to trick around. God's greater than that. Just live with a clear conscience. Just do what's right. Just do what God wants you to do. It's really that simple. And then our last point today, number four, is live with confidence. Live with confidence. And we can do that when we love each other, when we love like God, and when we live with a clear conscience. It brings us to verse 22 and it says, And whosoever, excuse me, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments. And do those things that are pleasing in His sight. I can live with confidence that I'm going to get what I'm asking for. When I go to God and I say, God, I have need of this, I can confidently go to Him asking, knowing I'm going to receive. How? If I keep His commandments. The Christian life is... 
um, designed to live Christ-like. The Christian life is, <coughs> is intended to be righteous, just, pure, holy. And the Bible tells us that when we live the way that God tells us to live, we can receive from God what we ask. When we, when we go to God with a clear conscience, we can go to God in confidence, knowing He's going to respond. In my life, and this is just my personal example, when I've gone to God in need, and have not been right with God, I've not gotten what I need. But in my life, 30 Eight years, I think, of life. 37 or 38, however old I am. I'm in that range. I'm almost 40. That's what I tell people now. Um, when I've been obedient to God and I've gone to God with the need, God's provided. Every single time. Now, was it within an instant? Not always. But every time I've been obedient and I've gone to Him, God's responded. And the Bible teaches us, and 1 John, a letter to, to Christians, tells us, if you'll just do right, you can have confidence that your prayers will be answered. And I'm telling you, how many times... Have we not been right and missed out? Christians, a lot of times, will be right 85% of the time, 90% of the time, but there's always something that they just refuse to let go of. Something that they're just holding on to because of their selfish, natural desires say, I like this too much to let go of. What are you missing out on? I have watched Christians struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle and just be frustrated and be annoyed and just be uh, uh, just, just constantly all these different things. And, and I, you know, I'll talk to them and they'll say, Pastor, I just don't get it. It just seems like one thing after another and it's just, I'm just not, not finding any victory. Maybe it's over sin. I'm not getting provision for this area and I've got this great need and I've been asking God and He just hasn't been answering. And it's hard for me because I know it sounds so cliche. But it's, hey man, you haven't been in church. And I'm guessing you haven't been reading your Bible. Does God want you in church? Does God tell you to read your Bible? Let's start there. And it's a start. It's not the end all. But there are people saying, well, God's not helping me. And 100% of the time, it's because they're not doing right. And, and many times, it's, it's, it's other things other than that, too. There's things in their life that they're not, they're, not, they're not doing what God desires for them to do. They've got sin in their life, and they've not gotten forgiven. They've not repented of it. But God tells me, and God tells you in verse 22, whatsoever ye ask, 
You receive of Him because keep His commandments. And you do those things that are pleasing in His sight. One of the things that I'm coming across with non-church people that I share the gospel with, we get on the conversation about works and and it's not about, there's nothing that I can do to save myself. And it's, it's through God alone. And it's, it's an understanding that I'm a sinner and I deserve hell. But Jesus loves me and He gave Himself for me. He died on the cross and He was buried and He rose again three days later. And He says, if I'll come to Him and say, God, save me. God will save me. But there's nothing that I can do to save myself. The, the always, they go right back to this. But, but if I'm not living, if I'm not doing good, God's not going to save me. And the answer is, I do good because God saved me. Not so that God will save me. If God saved me, the Bible says that I am now a new creature. I am changed. Now my desire is to honor God with my life. And yes, I'll make mistakes. Yes, I'll sin. But I don't do right because God, because, so God will save me. I do right because God saved me. And now I'm living to please Him. And God says that when I do right, I receive the full blessings of God. And we say that sometimes and we go, yeah, but, but I know people who did right and they're still poor. Okay. I guarantee you if they're doing right, they're happy. Now listen, that's, you're not going to believe me until you do it. There's no amount of money in this world that can make you happy for eternity. You understand I put that at the end, for eternity. It'll make you happy for a time. There's no money in the world that's going to make you happy for eternity. Sometimes we think, boy, if I had this, if I, if I had this, if I had this income, if I had this house, if I had this vehicle, if I had this security, whatever it is, then I'd be happy. I'm telling you, if you don't follow God, you're not going to be happy. Because... God will supply all your needs according to His riches when you follow Him. You've got to get out of your mind that blessing is finances. Blessing is satisfaction. Blessing is fulfillment. Blessing is peace. Blessing is joy. That no matter the situation I am in my life, if I follow God, I will have this within me, this joy, this satisfaction, this fulfillment that I cannot get from this world. It's impossible to get. But as a Christian, I'm supposed to follow God. And as a Christian, I can live with confidence by doing what God desires for me to do. And ultimately, it comes back to the first part of 1 John of living in fellowship with God. Look in verse 23. And this is the commandment that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. And he that keepeth His commandments dwelleth in Him. And He in Him. There's that fellowship. And hereby we know that He abideth in us by the Spirit which He hath given us. It all comes back to the relationship with God, the fellowship with God, the openness with God. And it comes down to some simple things. And I say it's simple, but I also know it's hard at the same time. It's just doing what God tells us to do. Those of us that believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us the commandment to do, He that keepeth His commandments 
dwelleth in him. It's fellowship. Understanding, and again, I know I've said it three times already today. I know, I know there's people today that are saying, I don't believe you. And you won't until you try it. It's hard to explain just how good God is. I can tell you story after story after story after story after story after story about how God has blessed me in my life. But somebody will just look and go, well, you're a pastor. I haven't been a pastor my whole life. Well, you grew up in a Christian home. Okay. I was a rebellious kid. My goodness, when I went to Bible college, I was running from God. I was there because my parents made me go. And thank God for good parents. And for Christians who loved me. And they held me accountable. And they sacrificed for me. And they prayed for me. And God got a hold of my heart. And he got me back on the right path. But it's because people did what Christ did. And they were able to coexist with an immature freshman in college thinking he was smarter than the world. The impact that you can have on someone's life by just loving them. You may never know. I try to tell those people. I don't talk with them very often. We're friends on Facebook. They live thousands of miles away. But anytime I get the opportunity to see them, I try to thank them. Because back then, all they knew is they were just bringing me over to their house for lunch. Or they were just uh, talking with me after church, they had no idea what they were doing in my life. But they loved me. And they were able to coexist with me. And God used them in my life. And I believe God blessed their life. And I sit here now today looking at a passage of Scripture that tells me the commandment that God gives me is to love God and to love others. And if I'll keep His commandment, then I dwell in God. I have fellowship. I have perfect fellowship with God. And along with that, yes, there comes blessings. Yes, there comes protection. Yes, there comes provision. But it also comes with answered prayers where I can confidently go to God. And I say this to God all the time. God, I don't know how, and honestly, I don't care how. <laughs> Here's my need. Lord, please take care of it. And every single time when I'm obedient, God does. How do you coexist with Christians? The funny thing is, it has nothing to do with them. You love each other. And you love like God loved. You live with a clear conscience. And then you live with confidence. Knowing that God will do what God says He'll do. 
And it all starts right here. You can fool me. You can fool the people in this church. You can probably fool the person next to you in the pew. You cannot fool God. It starts right here. Is your heart where it's supposed to be? If it is, you can coexist with the brothers. You can coexist with the sisters. If it's not, you're going to struggle. And not only with coexisting, you're going to struggle in your own life with not having the blessings that God offers you. You're the only one that can change it. I can't change it for you. I can pray for you. I can ask God that, uh, to impact your life. I can ask God that, to, to help. But at the end of the day, it's going to come to a decision that you have to make. God, here's my sin. Forgive it. God, here's my life. Take it. God, I'm going to follow you and do whatever you ask me to do. And then doing it. Lord, I pray for your help this morning. I pray that you would guide us. I look back at my life and I just see all the areas, man, just missed opportunities. The times where I lived in my own strength and I lived in my own wisdom. I, I, I just depended on myself so much. And in doing so, it impacted my fellowship with you and it impacted the, the results in my life, the things that I missed out on. And Lord, I, I just so much wasted opportunity. But God, the reality is we can't go back and change the past. But Lord, we can fix today where our life is. And we can turn to you and we can give to you anything that needs to be given to you. And we can have those prayers answered and we can have confidence in your provision in our life. But Lord, we know it starts with us and our heart. So God, today I pray that if we're wrong in any area, God, that we'll bring it to you, that we'll get it forgiven so that we can live fully in your love, fully in your provision, fully in your care. God, help us, I pray in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and our eyes